0: As as we were singing and as I was sucking on my mask and trying to breathe, I was thinking, how grateful am I that we can sing. With a mask, we can still sing. (laughs) Praise God. (laughs) Praise God. Because we live in a fallen world Therefore, we should not be surprised that the world is characterized by confusion and by fear. And we shouldn't be surprised that our lives are sometimes characterized by confusion and fear. And that's what David said, didn't he, when he began this morning. Confusion and fear are things we should expect from this world, and at times we should expect it to raise its ugly head in our own lives And we shouldn't be surprised by it. But sometimes there are situations that drive that confusion and fear up to the surface, right? Sometimes there are situations in our lives, there are circumstances that drive what is already there. Our circumstances don't make us fearful. They don't make us confused. They reveal what's already in our hearts. They bring it to the surface. And they reveal what's already going on deep down inside of us. This whole COVID situation is one of those circumstances that can bring confusion and fear to the surface of our lives. Should we meet? Should we not meet? Should we wear masks? Should we not wear masks? Things we have never dealt with before, things that are strange and foreign to us, that in itself can be kind of fearful and confusing, can't can't it? Just the fact that we are in uncharted territories— And I want to make clear to you that this struggle is from a sovereign God. And God uses things like this for our good. And I I just want to begin there. Before we talk about our response to these things, I want to begin by reminding us that this is from the hand of God. And don't let anyone rob God of that. That would be the worst case scenario, is if this was not ultimately in the hands of God. There would be nothing worse than that. So we don't like the struggle, but we love the results. We love the results that God is bringing from this. You know, the Bible says this, and we say this often, but we often need to be reminded of it. All things are working together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purposes. Even COVID. <laughs> All things. And one of the good purposes is to strengthen our faith. We need our faith strengthened. We can become so, so comfortable in this world. We can become so relaxed. And we can begin to think that this is it. That this is where we belong. This is our kingdom. That we need to be arrested out of our sleep. We need our faith strengthened. And sometimes that comes through affliction, doesn't it? Praise God for affliction. If this draws us to our knees in prayer, praise God for what he's doing. Thank God for COVID, if that's what it does. God used, and and think about this for a moment, just just a great picture of how God uses things for his purposes that we never would have imagined. In Acts, there was this great persecution that arose against the church. And that was God's means for spreading the gospel throughout the whole world. Isn't that amazing? And how many people would have said, God is not using the persecution. Come on, he's not behind it. It's not serving his purposes, but in fact it was. It was. It was serving his purposes. And the people were responsible for what they were doing as well. Both of those are true. But I also don't want to make the mistake for us to think for a moment that because this is from God, because this is ultimately the sovereign God is behind all of this, that somehow it means we need to let go and let God. (laughs) That would be a colossal mistake. To think that we don't have a, a special responsibility, that we don't need to rise up to the occasion would be a colossal mistake yes God is sovereign but he sovereignly puts us in places where we have a unique responsibility to shine and to grow and to proclaim his goodness through the circumstances he has placed us the enemy wants to extort the situation to divide us the enemy wants to use the situation to silence our praise from God in any way he can And on top of this, we all struggle with confusion and fear, don't we? We all have our own struggles, not only with each other, but also in our own hearts and our own minds. And I struggle with confusion and fear. I struggle with all the things that everyone else struggles with, and so do you. So we are together in this. Just because God is sovereign doesn't mean we're not responsible to do everything we can to respond in these circumstances. In a way that we don't waste COVID. (laughs) Someone not here anymore, and I'm pretty sure is not listening, (laughs) uh, once came to me because someone had sinned against them. At least that's what they claimed. They claimed someone had sinned against them. And so the natural and right response is to do what? The right response is to go to them and say, Hey, (laughs) this is an opportunity from God to go to this person and help them out. This is from God, right? And the Bible tells us exactly what to do when we're sinned against. So first of all, I ask them, is this really a sin? Um, second of all, what do we do when we sin? What does the Bible say? It's not what I have to say, it's what the Bible says. It's very, very clear in the Bible what we do in those circumstances. We go to that person, right? We want to win them. We want to we bring them back. We want to be God's tools in their lives, right? Right? And so the response was this, something like this. Something like, God is sovereign. He will take care of it. That is a colossal abuse of the sovereignty of God. That is turning things on its head. God has sovereignly put you in that situation so that you can help a brother or sister out. And that is totally misusing the sovereignty of God to say things that way. So God has not left us without instruction, has he? So where would you go for answers regarding how to respond as a church during this time? Where would we go to find a strategy for how to respond during this confusing, and fearful and difficult time? Well, do we look for to the medical field for answers? Do we look to other churches for answers? Do we look to the Facebook for answers? That's a a great place to go, isn't it, for answers? How about science journals, the news? And we all know that none of those are the answers that we have. The primary place we go to is the Word of God. And it's amazing to imagine that we would go anywhere else for answers. One challenge that this COVID situation has brought to the surface is how we as a church are going to relate to our government. How as citizens of God's kingdom do we relate to this temporal kingdom of this earth that we are a part of for a season? And one of the best places to go to for answers is 1 Peter 2 verses 13 through 17. This is a great place to go. (laughs) And so this is where we're going to go today. You could also look at Romans 13. But we're looking at 1 Peter (laughs) Now, I admit that it might be a little strange that we are veering off our course in this way. I mean, I never veer off course. (laughs) So uh, it's like, why in the world, with all the issues out there, would you veer off course now? And why would you look at this now? And this is not because of some specific issue in the church that someone is dealing with. I'm not addressing a certain person. (laughs) This has nothing to do with that. This is because I want us as a church to learn how to respond to situations like this together. I want us to learn how to do this together. I am not fearful of COVID. I am not fearful of what it's going to do to our church. I'm not. But I'm concerned that we respond properly and that we know and work together as a church. This is a great opportunity for us. And I don't want to miss it. I don't want to miss it. So the main primary ruling purpose, or principle, I should say, for for how you're to relate to your government and their authorities is that you are to be subject to them. Listen to verse 13. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution. Literally every human creature. Whether it be the emperor as supreme or to the governor. Let us be clear what we're talking about here. What are we talking about? (laughs) Because it actually says to every human institution. And so we might wonder, what are we talking about? Are we really talking about the government? Or are we talking about anything that we might need to submit to? And what's clarified in this very verse is the subject matter that we are talking about when it says this, whether it be to the emperor supreme or to governors. So that clarifies, that tells us the parameters of what we're talking about here. And so not only the emperor who is supreme, but also those who are under the emperor, right? Those who are, um, who are leaders of different jurisdictions, those who are governors over towns and provinces. We're supposed to be subject to them. So what does it mean to be in subject to something like your government? And we all know what this means, right? This is obvious and clear. It means to obey. It means to come under their authority. It means willing obedience. Now, we often narrowly define what it means to obey, don't we? So as to do as little as we can and still feel like we're obeying, right? Right? Well, in my family, we have a way of explaining what obedience means that is more comprehensive. Right, kids? We say obedience is doing what we are told to do right away, all the way, and with the right attitude. (laughs) Otherwise, it's not obedience. Right away, all the way, and with the right attitude. Otherwise, it's something other than obedience. And that makes it a little harder, doesn't it? (laughs) There are few words more repulsive to our American mentality than submission and subjection. We do not like that word, do we? We don't like the idea of it. We know what it says, but we don't like it when it comes down to the nitty-gritty of our lives. We are independent. We are self-driven. We are our own people. (laughs) And we like to rebel against authority and to criticize them and to think we have better ways of doing things. I think that the American mentality in many ways has poisoned our ability to think straight and think rightly. And I think it has fed into our selfish ambition and has confused us oftentimes when we're trying to make decisions and to know what the right thing is to do. You might say, you don't understand my government is so corrupt my government is so messed up that Peter can't be telling me, can't be telling us to su- be subject to our government and all its corruption. But you must understand that the emperor in Peter's day was Nero. He was a persecutor, persecutor of Christians. He was notorious for the things he did. And I am sure that he had different laws and regulations that made absolutely no sense at all. And I would bet you anything that Christians were the first ones to obey. The general practice of a believer is to obey their governing authorities. And we should be known as those who submit to our government, who are subject to our governing authorities. Now, there's one foundational motivation that should compel every one of us, every Christian, I should say, to willingly and joyfully obey those who are in authority over us. And what is that? For the Lord's sake. There is nothing that moves believers to do things that are hard and difficult and not comfortable than when it is for the Lord's sake. There is nothing that motivates a believer to move to action than when it is for the Lord's sake. That moves believers. There's something about that. That when we're doing it for the Lord's sake, that moves us. So your primary motivation is not based on whether you like the government, whether you like who's in government, whether you like the rules they're making, whether you like the consequences or rewards or think they're a big deal, that is not to be what moves us primarily to action. Rather, your primary motivation must be because God says so, for his sake. And you can't get any more foundational of a reason than for the Lord's sake to do anything. He is the final authority. He is the final basis for why we do what we do. And this means that all God-honoring submission to your government requires a changed heart. Do you realize you cannot do one good thing in God's eyes without a changed heart? You could feed all the poor in the world. You can give all your money away. You could could give yourself, your life to someone. And if you don't do it for the Lord's sake, in God's eyes, it's not good. Now, I'm not saying you don't do good for people, right? Right? There is some good you can do for people, but in God's sight it's not good if it's not for the Lord's sake. And so the only right response to the government that can possibly come about is from the heart of a believer whose desires are changed to do things for the Lord's sake. That's what makes subjection honorable to God. So subjection comes from a work of God in our hearts or it is not subjection at all. This also means if you want to be a motivated believer, if you want to be motivated to act in obedience to God in the hard things, then you must at your very heart be motivated and understand who the Lord is and must know that he is requiring it of you. That will motivate us as a church to do incredible things. It will motivate us to give our lives. It will motivate us to lay down our lives and to go through the hardest and most difficult things if we know that the Lord is calling us to do it and we're doing it for his sake. There is nothing that believers won't do when it's for the Lord's sake. Now, if we're to do things for the Lord's sake, such as subjection, then that in itself tells us that there is a reason why it is legitimate to rebel against our government. You see, you can't disobey God for the Lord's sake when the government tells us to do so. (laughs) That just doesn't make any sense at all. So there is a limitation to the government's authority. When the government tells us to do something that God has forbidden us to do, or to not do something God has told us to do, then the church is responsible to rise up and obey God. We must obey God in such circumstances. Because God is our final authorities. But I think the reason Peter doesn't mention that right here is because, for one thing, I think it is quite obvious but for another reason, that that is the, uh, the, the, um, the, the, the rarity in our lives. Even Peter was well aware of this exception. In Acts 4, if you remember, he was told not to speak at all in God's name. At Acts 4, verse 18. The governing authority said, you must not speak anymore in Jesus' name, right? So, is this optional? Is this an option for us? Does the government have the right to tell us not to speak anymore in Jesus' name? And the answer is, God has commanded us to speak in Jesus' name. It is not an option for us. We are commanded, we are called to speak and to proclaim our Savior and his great salvation. That is why we exist. So this is not optional. And so what did he do? He obeyed God rather than man. And he even said this to them. Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you more than more than to God, you you make that distinction. But I will speak and proclaim in the name of Jesus Christ. This was not vague, this was very clear. There are other places that are just as clear as well. Daniel in Daniel 6, verse 10, stood up for what he knew to do, what was right, even though the government told him to do otherwise. How about Christians in Germany during the Holocaust? Such as Cory Tenboom, when they housed fellow Jews. We therefore need to know what God commands for us to do if we are to respond appropriately, right? God commands us to obey our government, God commands us not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together, God commands us to sing to one another. God commands us to love each other, especially those who are of the household of faith. God commands us to make disciples. And those are just a few things, right? We can go on and on. And this might sound simple, but it is really not always that simple. How we're going to respond in these circumstances can be quite challenging, can't it? God commands us not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together, but there was a time when we met over the internet, right? Over the TV. Solely over the TV, I'm saying. There was a time, and I think that was okay. I think in in, in certain circumstances, in emergency circumstances, there might be an allowance for a short time to do that. But eventually, eventually, we need to get back to meeting together, because what is at stake here is the government has temporal jurisdiction, don't they? They have temporal issues that they are responsible for, and that's very important. But the church has eternal issues that we are dealing with. We have the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is for eternal matters that we are meeting together. And so eventually we must meet together. We must gather together. The purpose or reason for why God has given us to obey our ruling authorities should cause us to come in subjection to our government. The purpose and reason for our governing authorities should cause us to come under them. And it is a very good purpose for why God has given us government. Listen, it says here, As sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. Government is God's idea. Government is a gift from God. And it is for our good. So the question is, what is the good that God has ordained for government to be for us? And it is to discourage evil, and it is to encourage the good, right? That's why God has not given the government the sword in vain. Through its appointed leaders, God maintains order in society. Imagine if there was no government. I mean, even bad government is almost always better than no government. Isn't that true? And so we thank God for government. We thank God for the blessing that it brings to us. Anarchy is never good. (laughs) And even though no government will fulfill its purposes perfectly, that it's supposed to do, Yet we are thankful for the governments we have and for the benefit that they are to us. You know, governments continually testify to the truthfulness of God's word, doesn't it? That we cannot figure things out. If, if any government could finally figure it out and put it together, then it would be a denial of the truthfulness of God's word. That man has fallen and he cannot do it. It is only God's government that can faithfully fulfill what God requires of a perfect government. Our less than perfect government should continually remind us that we are waiting for the kingdom of God to come in all its fullness. God is coming to reign and we should long and moan and groan for that kingdom as we see the kingdoms of this world falling apart. And at the same time, we can be thankful for what God has given to us. And at the same time, we can work for its better and for its good and its well-being, can't we? Those aren't conflicting ideas. We long for God's kingdom, but are thankful for what we have. The desire to preserve your gospel testimony should also mul- motivate you to be subject to your government. Listen to verse 15. For this is the will of God that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. There are wa- there are those around us who want more than anything to vilify us. They want to destroy us. They want to find holes and cracks in our faith because they are out to get us. Well, they're ultimately out to get God. They're in rebellion against God. In the words foolish here and ignorant aren't talking about those who really don't know what's going on. Foolish, the word for foolish here, are those who are evil and wicked and are out to destroy you, those who oppose to Christianity. And they will look for reasons to find holes in Christianity. They will say that you're a bad influence on society if they can. And by the way, you can't perfectly prevent accusations from being leveled against you. Even Jesus was accused, wasn't he? (laughs) Falsely. But believers should not give any legitimate reason for such accusations. That's what it's saying here. We shouldn't give any reasons for accusations against us. The lives of believers should prevent such people from bringing legitimate challenges or charges against our faith. We should not give them ammunition to shoot against us, should we? And by submitting to our governments and doing as good as we can the things that are helpful and beneficial for our governments while submitting to them should help silence those who are trying to bring accusations against you by obeying the law we put to silence those who are in opposition against us the good behavior of believers should minimize the slanderous attacks in fact you can make people look foolish who are attacking you isn't that wonderful isn't it wonderful when people try to attack you and they look so foolish because of the only thing they can bring up against you? Is I just don't feel right about you. <laughs> you know? Whereas in Daniel's case, they had to come up with some kind of law that would cause him to follow his God in order to somehow accuse him of breaking it. Obviously, the good here goes beyond just submitting to the government, but it certainly includes that. The good that we are to do certainly includes being in submission to our governments wherever we can. If you remember Jeremiah, in Jeremiah 29, verse 7, remember what he told the exiles to do when they went to Babylon? Did he tell them to rebel against the government there? No, he told them to do good to them. To seek the prosperity of the land. And in so doing, you will be prosperous. (laughs) It will be good for you. And isn't it similar with us? We are to do good. And to seek the prosperity of our land. For that is in our well-being as well. I pray that if it came down to it, it, like, like it came down for Daniel, when he was obedient to God and worshiping and, and praying to God three times a day, and he was caught worshiping God, I pray that we too would be found guilty of that. I pray that if there's anything we're guilty of, it would be guilt, guilty of following and worshiping God. So my question for you is, is that what you would be found guilty of? Proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ, of loving God, of loving your brothers and sisters, of being in subjection to the government whenever you can. You should live in subjection to your government because of who you are, because of your identity. Listen to verse 16 and hear these words. These are profound. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. When we often think of freedom, we often think of the American freedom that we have, don't we? And praise God for the freedom we have in America. We are not subject to an emperor who determines what we worship, who tries to level down his authority and weigh his authority down on us in determining what we worship. We praise God for that. That freedom is precious to us, and people gave their lives for that freedom. But that is not the freedom that Peter is talking about here. There is an infinitely greater freedom that we have in Christ. That is the freedom he's talking about. We are free to no longer be enslaved to sin and selfishness. That is true freedom. We are free to no longer be in bondage to our rebellious ways. True freedom is to want to obey God's commands and to desire to do His will and His agenda. True freedom is to want to serve God and to love others. That's freedom. True freedom is to submit to our government for Christ's sake. Isn't that crazy? True freedom is to submit to government. True freedom is to submit to one another. That's freedom. It's to love others. To become a servant of all is true freedom. And to ultimately become a servant of God. He is talking about the freedom that Jesus purchased for us on the cross, isn't he? He's talking about the freedom that Jesus brings to us through his death on the cross. And therefore, we know we are free when our hearts resonate to serve Christ. When we hear God's will in his word and we say, I want to serve my Savior. I want to do this for his sake. That's how we know we are free in Christ. To be willing servants of God tells us we are free. And that's why God has ransomed us. That's why God has purchased us, so that we might live as his servants, as those who are free. And if the Son has set you free, then you are free indeed. <laughs> and this freedom is what causes Christians to be the best citizens in the world. You know, throughout, the, throughout history, Christians have been the best citizens. We have been, because we understand God's word. This means you can be under the most oppressive government in the world and be the freest people in the world. And this means you can be in the freest government in the world and be in the most bondage you could ever be in. How many people have lived in the most free countries but have died in bondage to their sin? What a sad, sad thing. You should be able to understand how there's nothing more backwards than to use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. There is something hypocritical in that, isn't there? To say I am free, therefore I can do what I want and I can do evil things because of my freedom. I can not be in subjection to the government when it's not against God's will and his word. Well, that's not freedom. That's a cover-up for evil, isn't it? Such an argument smells like a Pharisee. The gospel, in fact, frees us to respond properly to everyone in our lives. Listen to this. Here are four commands that call us to live as those who are free in Christ. This is what it looks like to live as those who are free in Christ. This is what the gospel produces in us. This is how we'll treat people when the gospel is at work in our lives. Listen to this. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God honor the emperor one of the greatest indications that we have left the gospel foundations is when we do not honor each other is when our when we do not honor the elderly when we do not honor those who are in positions of authority That is one of the greatest indications that we are no longer standing on a gospel foundation. And there is great trouble ahead. The gospel, on the other hand, frees us to honor everyone, including the emperor. Do you respect people? Do you treat people with dignity as being created in God's image? Do you even treat the supreme leaders of the land with dignity and honor? Well, that's an indication that the gospel has gotten a hold of our hearts. Because how hard is it to do so? How difficult is it? The gospel also frees us to treat other fellow believers with tender love and care as family. You know, you owe a special love and care to fellow believers because they are family. And this is an indication that the gospel has grabbed a hold of you. When you love those who are hardest to love because they are your family fellow family and part of the same family as you are because of the bond we have in Christ you know the church should be if the gospel has taken a hold of this church we will be the most loving people in the world we will love each other in ways that make no sense to the world and that is one of the ways we can test how well the gospel has gotten a hold of our hearts are we angry at each other are we not treating each other well are we holding resentment in our hearts? We should be growing in this. And Southbridge should be seeing that, that Faith Baptist Church is loving. <laughs> and we love because we are free. How about you? How are you doing with that? The gospel also frees us to fear God alone rather than the emperor. You are not to fear government. You are not to fear covid You are to fear God alone. He is the only one whom you are to fear. It would be easy to fear the emperor, wouldn't it? We can see the emperor. We can see those in charge. We can see the the, the punishments. We can see the rewards that they give. And we can fear, right? That's easy. But rather, we are to fear God instead. Yes, honor the emperor, but fear God. There is an immeasurable difference between honoring someone and fearing God. God is to be feared. He's in a category all to himself. Do you fear God? In other words, do we as a church take God seriously? Do we tremble at his word? Do, do, we, do we take times out of our day where we stop and, 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 and stop with all the frivolity, Right? And, and, and humble ourselves and bow our knees to God and remind ourselves that there is a creator who is immeasurably greater than all others and we are responsible for. You know, or are we driven by entertainment? Do we fear God at this church? Or are we most concerned about making people feel, feel comfortable when they are here? <laughs> And the answer is, I hope we are most concerned. I, p- I pray that the fear of God is what drives us to do what we do. Are we in awe, of, in awe of God? In light of how God's word tells us as a church, how we are to relate to our government, we need to make some difficult decisions, don't we? We're going to do things that are, that are, are we're going to have to decide what to do in challenging times that we are in. And this passage should help us to know what to do It should guide us in making those decisions as God's word does in all situations. And first, we cannot look primarily at other churches, can we? You know, there are different circumstances those in New Hampshire are facing versus those in Massachusetts. There just are. There are different rules and regulations they are supposed to follow. There are different sizes of churches that make some things impossible to do. It just does. But secondly, we must look at the rules of the government in light of the Bible, in light of what the Bible calls us to do. And this doesn't mean things are going to be easy. It doesn't mean we're going to be consistent all the time. But we do have a good basis for how to proceed. We do have direction. So what are we to do with the government when it tells us we are to sit six feet apart? (laughs) Well, that's practical, isn't it? How do you get more practical than that? Well, does sitting six feet apart keep us from obeying God? The good news is we can sit six six feet apart and still meet together in the same building. Praise God. Praise God. So we have no reason to rebel against the government in this case. Now, it does hinder our fellowship a little, doesn't it? But I think for the time, we can manage Now imagine if we were told to sit 10 feet apart. And imagine if we couldn't fit in this room. Well then we might have to say we're going to have to do 6 feet apart. <laughs> or something like that. I'm just trying to deal with specific issues. So what are we to do about masks? Oh, here we go. <laughs> I can see division right now. Does obeying the mask mandate prevent us from obeying God in any way? Well, I can't think of any. It's uncomfortable. I end up swallowing my mask when I'm singing. And for some of us, we should not wear masks because it's unhealthy. And it's, gonna, it's for our own health. We can't do that. Medically, we can't wear masks. And so don't wear them. And I have no idea if they work or not. That is not my concern. But I believe that for the majority of us, we can wear masks <laughs> and still obey God's commands. Praise God! You know, I think this is actually a wonderful opportunity for us to model submission and love for each other. Another elder from another church uh, and I were talking about this, and uh, and he said, "You know, my children are to submit to me. My wife is to submit to my leadership." And he said, I hardly have an opportunity to practice submission. And he said, this is wonderful because of this mask thing. I get the opportunity of showing my children and my wife that I too submit to authority. I was like, wow. (laughs) Never thought of it that way. But we also get to love each other, right? And to care for each other. But we must not wear masks out of fear. Wearing masks out of fear is not the right reason to wear them. So what are we to do if our government tells us we are not to meet at all? And we have already done this for a time, haven't we? We already talked about this for a little while. And I don't think there was anything wrong with what we did. I think it was good and beneficial. I think it was fine. It was an emergency in a sense. And there was a time for that. But there, is a, there does come a time where we need to meet for our own spiritual well-being. We, we must come together again. We must meet again. And I think that's exactly what we are doing. And praise God, we can do this. And we are doing this. God said for us not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together. And the reason he said that was because of eternal implications in Hebrews because there were eternal matters for those who were stopping and were no longer meeting together. That, That very word from God dealt with eternal matters. So we must not forsake the assembling of ourselves together, even if it means coming in conflict with those who are in authority above us. We have to remember that God has entrusted us with the gospel And we are responsible for it. What an awesome deposit we have been given. What an awesome entrustment that we have been given from God with this precious gospel that is eternal implications. And we must never lose the reality of the weight of what God has given to us. So there's one more strategy I want to deal with as we close here. For how to respond to the circumstances that we are in. Just as much as we must hold the word of God tightly, so also must we be diligent in prayer. We fight with the sword of the spirit, the word of God, right? But we also fight on our knees. Alistair Begg made this really great point about the real problem in a message he was preaching about this very passage. When he said, the church is often clad in the armor of Saul and is therefore unable to fight the battle against Goliath. Isn't that profound? David could not fight Goliath in Saul's armor. He needed God's strength. He needed to be clad in the armor of God to fight Goliath. And we are going every day into this battle. And let me tell you, if there's one thing that should drive this church to its knees, it's COVID. It's things like this that God has ordained to drive us to our knees. If this doesn't drive us to our knees, then what will? And so I look at the church and I wonder, have we been praying more? You know, it's surprising, for instance, when prayer meeting doesn't grow at times like this. Because you wonder, what would cause people to pray more so than challenging and difficult and confusing and fearful circumstances? And so I pray, I pray that you and I are being driven to our knees. This is the blessing of God, because there's no better place than to be dependent on God and crying out to him for strength. My prayer is that God would awaken this church with a renewed sense of its need to pray. What more can God do to bring us to our knees? It's kind of a scary thought, isn't it? So it is good for us to pray and to long. We wait for a heavenly government that is better than all earthly governments that have ever existed. We long for Christ to return. And in between, we listen to God's word. We do everything for the sake of Christ. And we depend on God in prayer. We cry out to God in prayer. That is who we are. It's not really complicated when it comes down to it, does it? Let's pray. Dear Father, thank you so much for your word. God, thank you for your goodness to us. Thank you for your mercy towards us. Thank you for telling us in your word what you require of us. Lord, it is a joy. Lord, even though it's hard and it hurts, and sometimes our legs need to be broken, Lord, it doesn't feel good, but it is a joy to obey you. It is our good, It is our well-being to come under your authority. We thank you for hearts that you have shaped, that you have transformed, so that we would see the goodness of God in your ways. Oh, Lord, forgive us for where we have rebelled against you, where we have thought we know better, where we have done our own thing, our own ways. Lord, we know that we are growing, Lord, that there are ways that we can do better, Lord, that even... We as a church have so much to grow in. So many things that have come at us that we are trying to figure out and understand what to do better with. But Lord, I pray that we, would, that we would always conform to your word. I pray that you would give us a love for the gospel. I pray that you would give us a love for Jesus Christ. I pray that you would compel us to worship you. I pray that we would see your goodness and your greatness and your glory. And I pray that we would obey you as our Lord and our King. And God, I pray that we would love each other as you've called us to love. May we live in the freedom that you have purchased for us. Lord, may we live as free people. And may we show the world the greatness of our God. And may we glorify your name in every aspect of our life, in every relationship we have. Lord, even as we repent, Lord, may we show the world that we have a mighty, saving God. In Jesus' name, amen.